0: Hello everybody and welcome to the Leaders in Supply Chain podcast. I am your host, Radu Palamari, Managing Director of Elcat Global. And it is my great pleasure and delight to have with us today Harald Emberger, who is the Chief Supply Chain Officer of Beiersdorf. Many of you use Beiersdorf products. I know I do ever since I was a child, actually in Romania. My mother used Nivea as the main cream in the house. It's still a very much a household name across the globe. So that's Beyersdorf, one of Beyersdorf's products. Of course, they have quite a few others. It's a nine billion sales company. And Harald is here today to share with us a couple of things around their supply chain about himself as well as about talent. Harald, thanks for the time and welcome.
1: Thanks, Rado, And welcome as well from my side. Glad to be here and glad to be part of your podcast.
0: Super. So maybe let's start first and foremost. How did you end up in supply chain? How did it all start for you and evolve to now being chief supply chain officer?
1: Thanks, Rado. Yeah, I had a bit of an interesting start. So my background is mechanical engineering. I studied this in Munich. So the usual career path would have been automotive, uh, like probably 90% of my other co-students. And I obviously learned a bit about automotive, but then met in an industry fair, fast-moving consumer good representatives. And I got really excited about their businesses. And I decided really to look for something different than mechanical engineering or automotive, to look more how engineering could do a difference to an industry. And uh, joined, uh, at that point, a company called Mars Incorporated as a graduate trainee. And that's brought me into manufacturing and then later on subsequently in the supply chain And here the reason why i decided in that program as well to stay in supply was the fascination about manufacturing so i enjoyed i discovered the love for factories and uh, to create value to make products to have the responsibilities there as well but as well the The people you work with, the environment, creating every day something new was what always fascinated me in a a very efficient way, the way you have to manufacture things. So that's what I would say was the starting point for a career in supply chain.
0: I would have thought that you, you, you would have said the chocolates, that, that's what kept you in supply chain. Very good, delightful chocolates of Mars. <laughs> uh,
1: I started on the food side. So now oh. Mars has a pet food side as well. So I started on the pet food side, which was a bit different. Okay. <laughs> but for an, engineer, for an engineer, to deal with meat and to deal with uh, emotions is obviously more challenging. So it's uh, before moving to the sweet side, so the chocolate side, I joined several years on the meat on the pet food side, which was also very, very interesting and fascinating as a business.
0: Got it. And and looking back, another question I like to ask, what would you say were some inflection points? So again, you've reached from a supply chain perspective, chief supply chain officer, you can say the pinnacle of supply chain roles. What were one or two things looking back at your career that you can say, okay, these were really inflection points for me?
1: I'll tell you what, Radu. I think when I joined business, it was in the Western European, the way I describe Europe now at that time, Western European environment, a very difficult time as a lot of productions moved East, not only Far East, but East into Eastern Europe because of obviously lower conversion cost. And the first, I would say 10 years of my career was heavy restructuring. So I learned supply chain in a restructuring environment, closing factories, closing operations, laying people off. And this was, I would say, the first inflection point for me the responsibility you have in all the decisions you take in the supply chain, whether it's investment, whether it's the way you manage an organization, the risk to take, the way you run the business. That very often, if things go not right, you carry a lot of responsibility for people. And it's, I felt at that time, it was always a similar story that decision to act were delayed or compensated financially measures weren't taken and then very often you end up with a, a situation that you can only restructure in a in a heavy and brutal way and uh, this was a lot of learnings for me about organizational adaptation to environmental uh, the business environment you operate in and, and further so this is i would say one of the first inflection points the second inflection point was the chance to lead an operation at very young age with a strong talent in eastern europe where I had the chance to really create and and structure an own, it was a a factory and an own business, but do this with very limited resources, but strong talent. And here I realized the power of people. So how fast and precise and successful you can move with a a strong team, um, with a diverse team and the difference you can make to a business. So I would say these were the two inflection points, which really, Kept me going in the supply chain, always this fascination about adding value to the business, creating uh, new opportunities for the business in the supply chain.
0: And obviously, you've done a lot of that in Beyersdorf. I think when you joined the company to now, there's been a lot of things that have been put in place and love to talk more about that. We've also kind of come out of COVID, which has been the most <laughs> intense period in, in uh, most supply chain professional lives. I know you, we were talking a little bit offline. I know you, you were sharing with me how you also redesigned and had to open quite a number of factories in terms of your manufacturing footprint during COVID, of course, without being able to go see. Maybe tell us, let's start there. Tell us a little bit how that was. How did you make it happen? What worked? What didn't work so well?
1: Yeah, good question. And I mean, looking back, it's the first time I stayed for seven and a half years now in the same role. So basically, which is quite unique, you see what you have implemented coming through. So that's a nice viewpoint, I must say. And very often in in our fast moving careers, after three years, you move on four years, you move on. Um, Here I had the chance to stay longer, build the strategy, implement the strategy, create the team, recruit the right team in place and obviously continue to develop and reinvent it on on an ongoing basis. The opportunity here was to design and shape a supply chain towards the business goal. So you always look, where's the business going to? What are the competitive edges you want to put in place? Where are your strategic growth ambitions as a business, not only product-wise, but region-wise and category-wise? And that was the opportunity I had. On one hand, it was the organizational setup. So how do we build a supply chain for a business our size, which is sounds big, but it's not so big to some of our competitors with uh, the best possible career options. Second point was, yes, as you mentioned before, that what's the right production network? So where do you move your volumes? Where do you specialize? The benefit of our products is that we can travel far. So given the size and uh, the cost of the product, we could, uh, logistics is a relatively small part of the P&L. the SOI so we can move our products further but the third piece was as well it's a high our category so beauty and, and personal care is very innovation driven so how do you shape an organization to build a competitive edge so to bring innovations faster to the markets to sort of outpace your competition as well through that lens and how can you handle a large and complex portfolio in line with the innovation behind it, which is is quite invasive every year or so. So this was sort of the setup. And the second point was, for me, was an end-to-end organization. So we looked into procurement, uh, looked into what is the best setup for procurement and moved this to a a more global approach. And then the last piece, uh, the quality organization as well, to ensure the, uh, the best quality products. We, uh, we set this up as well in a very similar global way. So these were the, the cornerstones to, to invest. And the opportunity was at the beginning, obviously, where do you bring get the talent from and, and how much do you recruit externally? How much do you evolve internally? And how do you create and seed a talent base, which will obviously work with you for the next couple of years and, and you can source from later when people move and and you want to reposition certain roles. So this is, in a nutshell, the story. It has been an interesting one. We had high inside a cyber attack in 2017. We talked about this, uh, where the company was uh, stalled for two weeks. And out of this, we learned so much in the things we did well in the setup of the supply chain, but as well opportunities we had. So our resilience was not strong enough, business continuity planning, we were too dependent on single source supplies and our digital capability, our systems capability was as well limited. So we used the next couple of years then to invest. And fortunately when COVID happened, we were a bit better prepared to go through uh, some of those challenges than during that time. But that was, I would say, sort of a big correcting factor in the supply chain strategy in the setup.
0: I was recently talking to some of my friends at the World Economic Forum. They were saying that The biggest, actually, the biggest potential for improvement in general in the world is no longer necessarily, you know, making the iPhone slightly better or cheaper. It's at the industrial scale. It's all these inefficiencies in running large companies, large plants. You mentioned end-to-end. So I'm talking in in that context. I was recently talking to a CEO. He was sharing that, yes, Lean Six Sigma, manufacturing production excellence, of course, it's super important. Ultimately, you'll get two, three, 4% savings per annum. But if you orchestrate an end to end supply chain, because you do planning better and you don't end up with excess inventory cash stuck somewhere in, in the wrong place, you can save 20% or 30%. You can achieve a lot more improvement. Talk to us a little bit more about not necessarily only getting into the theory, but how do you think of a holistic end-to-end and maybe some examples from Beyersdorf where you had to adjust. And I know you kind of set it up from scratch as well at the very beginning and how it worked out.
1: So I have chosen a different org design for this company versus what I was used before. So end-to-end means that the leaders who are running the supply chain do have end-to-end responsibilities. So they cover the factories, but as well, logistics go to market and the in-market operationally. And all capability building is central. So we pulled this into the center, all development, all strategy. That provides the operations maximum agility at local level. And whoever is leading that part of the supply chain can call the shots on supply end-to-end. And we have enough space as well to build globally aligned strategies, whether it's for the factories, uh, logistics, uh, global systems, global IT solutions, whatever you, you provide. Personally, I'm a huge believer of end-to-end because you take waste out. The benefit is if you can basically plan at least from your supplier to your customer, which is possible at our scale, it gives you the opportunity to understand the consequences better. And that's why I believe the next big step is the end-to-end digitalization so that you basically can see through the supply chain end-to-end like a binocular and and know what's happening. And it's the good old wish. And and this is where digitalization now, we we are going for a new planning software as well or a solution as many others do, but it will be truly end-to-end will help you to become more agile. But more importantly, what we realize, especially in with the push for your carbon dioxide footprint reduction, is to take waste and energy out of the supply chain. You can manage your bullwhips better. This is why I believe in that. And you have other parts of the organization focusing just on capabilities, focusing on taking the supply chain on the, on, on the next level. The second thing is, Radu, and this was the interesting piece, is how do you develop talent into these roles? because you need people talent who can do run operations like large-scale factories who can do uh, local operations so the the talent pipeline for that is not that easy that needs to be really thought through so that you move your your talents into the markets you move them into the factory to give them opportunities to develop in the headquarters so you need a very well structured talent management system or career development system, people being able to run complex supply chains end-to-end, and to be able to run them at sort of a management board level in the relevant regions or countries.
0: I'll double click on the talent side since we're at it, because it's, it's not only that that you need the, absolutely, it's it's a people, all businesses are people businesses for now, you know, Chet GPT is coming up fast and furious, but... <laughs> for now, um, <laughs> it's, it's a people's business. However, even the roles I was talking to was CEO of a large anyways, planning software company. He was saying that the role of a planner has evolved. And, and, and you know a person that was doing planning two, three years ago is not necessarily doing the same, same things now. And, and he almost was, was telling me that he sees the role of a chief decision maker coming up or, because ultimately there's going to be a very few exceptions and then most of the things will be automated because it's going to follow certain patterns. So the role of a planner, the most roles are just constantly evolving. <laughs> it it needs some sort of a constant update of our brain uh, just like you have it at software level in the laptop just that our human brains don't particularly operate (laughs) with the same speed or velocity so i guess my question is how do you make a learning organization because that's what we're talking about you know having that learning instilled in a supply chain organization what did you do at buyers and how do you constantly upskill talent
1: So in supply chain, generally, Radu, I mean, you know many of my peers and we all know each other. We have one interesting thing in common that we all use the same systems. We all use the same backbone. We all know what we're using and we all know the capability of the systems. So at the end of the day, you can even put a strategy a supply chain strategy from each other's company you swap the name you probably will not even realize the difference immediately so the true difference are people it's 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 the fascinating thing in our supply chain we all use similar erp systems we all use similar planning tools tms systems uh, wms systems very similar mes systems are very similar in the factories difference are the people and the skill of the people so the first thing is always in in our job is you cannot focus enough time on developing and and building talent. I think that's that's something which is one insider. The second point is, as you rightly said, the change we are going through in the way you deal with analytics, you move basically from planning to analytics or you move from planning to judging. It's because the tool will give you a result which you have not compounded by yourself. In the past, you have calculated your baseline and then you added your different forecasts in promotional planning. And you ended up with a forecast which you could defend to your management team. You say, look, this is what I believe we're going to sell 10. Management team says, no, you're going to sell 100. You said, no, I think in the data I have clearly 10. Okay, now the system will tell you maybe 12. And you need to be able to judge whether the system is right or wrong, or you, which usually is right, because the algorithms usually should work. And uh, then you still need to defend it. And uh, so the skill you need. And the same is for, let's use uh, a technician on the machine. The machine will give you a diagnostic, compares the diagnostic out of the cloud with other machines and gives you an indication of this is the issue you have with the machine. You have not dissembled it by yourself. You have not opened it and had a look at it. So you just need to judge it. And it's a very different skill. So I think we go through probably one of the biggest transition at the moment of capability requirements, different capability requirements in short-term horizon. We have never been before through. So I believe this is one of the challenges we have. What we do here... Is obviously we have academies, so we try to invest a lot in procurement academies, quality academies, planning academies, logistics academies to bring this forward. The second thing, Rado, we build communities. So our organization is overseeable. So we are not hundreds of thousands. So we can still we know where the people are, we build communities uh, where we can exchange learnings, where we where we can build on each other. And the last piece is talent development. We build an organization that people can grow in their current location so if you are because we are trying not to go through too many towers or coes we try to have more virtual approach so if you sit in a smaller country but are a significant supply chain talent assuming not being mobile we offer opportunities to grow into a regional role or into a central role out of the location where you are so talent over location is, is becoming a key aspect here as well to build career paths. Um, because one thing you should not forget, if you lose one of these experts, it's very difficult to replace. No? So it takes your time to recruit. Then it takes another one, two years to bring them up to speed. And then you need to offer career opportunities on top. It's sometimes better to really ensure that the talent you have, you invest. You make sure that they have opportunities to grow. And you flex in your organization to, uh, to enable that.
0: And on the topic of change management, so uh, you know the framework PPT, so it's people, process, technology. So in, in any change, these are the three main elements by and large. Most conferences that we go to spend an incredible amount of time on technology and process very little time on on the people side Uh, to your point ultimately you can buy technology nobody has some proprietary software that nobody else can have access to so my question is more around again you've done seven and a half years in in buyers of pick one uh, change and i think you've done many and change always comes with resistance because you know, if my wife changes where she, where I keep my socks, I get pissed because <laughs> no, I don't know where my <laughs> socks are. So that's just socks. Yeah. So it's, if it's, you know, you change the system of how I do planning, of course, it's not, I'm not going to celebrate that at the beginning. Yeah. So, what I'd love for you to give us maybe an example of how you implemented the large scale change in Beyersdorf and what did you do to get people on board and also get them to ultimately change the way they mm-hmm. do things?
1: I mean, on the supply chain, the biggest. Change for me to get a seat at the table. So to really be part of the business team, to be part of the board and to get as well the buy-in from the organization to get there. That was and still is a lot of work and and requires a lot of attention. Um, This is where I would say what helped was a demonstration that supply chain can add value. So for example, during COVID or others, we had very high service levels. So it was very visible how strong we can support a, a double digit. We grew double digit last year. So how we how strong we can support something like that and how supply chain can make a difference as well in, in providing the agility when some products are getting scarce or when the markets are overselling that we, we can provide this. So this has helped a lot. The second thing is, I must say, spending a lot of time with the board and having really good peers in your board that helped as well to bring a supply chain, make a supply chain more visible, hold the own teams more accountable to improve on things like forecast accuracy, SNOP processes, and others. Um, this has helped tremendously, but it has been to be candid quite a journey. It took a while to get that grip. I would say the first three years was more getting the the basics right. And then gradually the pull came with more and more exposure and of my teams as well. And then what obviously makes a difference is the talent. So when you have a strong organization, they obviously rally the through for you as well. So they help you to have this seat at the table. But I think this was the biggest change to really show the value and the additional sales a supply chain can deliver if they are a competitive edge. That's the way I would phrase it. Another point, Rado, which I felt helped in the organization was a higher level of diversity. So as I shared with you before, it's in the middle management, we have like 50-50 diversity, which which uh, male, female, which, which makes a difference. And in the way the supply chain positions itself. And I would say that that was as well a point to help us in the recognition and the, this becoming, getting a seat at the table in, in the business
0: curious to hear your thought. I think that the conversation now in most companies, because of COVID, supply chain has gotten a seat at more tables, let's say. Mm -hmm. So more companies have seen or have gotten supply chain heads or operations heads in the board meetings, ask them the hard questions and so on. So proximity has been there. The seat is there. The key question is how do you keep, how do you keep that seat? You talked a lot about business, about aligning, making sure that supply chain supports the business, supports the sales, supports the growth. Um, I talk to supply chain heads on a regular basis. They, they speak a lot, speak the language of the business, whatever is the agenda. If it's the board, then of course they care about even earnings per share is the main KPIs. Mm-hmm. not forget the stock optimization and God knows what supply chain jargon is. They're very focused on very few things that have to do with the stock market. I guess what do you see as the key soft skills, if you may, of a board level supply chain executive? What must they focus on to stay at that level?
1: In our job, we always have the same challenge. we have We are measured with tons of KPIs. We have usually very complex processes to explain because if something happened, it doesn't happen. By one accident, it's usually a chain of, of things in the command line. And the challenge we all have is how do you translate complex situations in very meaningful, simple terms? Many of us are in boards where you have more softer functions or functions who are less number driven, but more visionary as well or more yeah if it's marketing for example or other functions so how do you explain complex things in meaningful simple words that's the first thing the second thing is which is really important is strong alliances in the board that you really work with them as a team you have the pull from the selling or the business part to work with you you have the strong integration with r&d You have strong integration with marketing and most importantly, finance as well, that you work very close together. This is my learning and where I spend a lot of time on as well to make sure I I have enough and very good working relationships. And here, I must say, one of the success factors for us at the moment with BioStoff is a strong and very close working relationship in the board that we hold each other accountable. But on the other hand, as well, we support each other and understand who can add what value. So if I have a supply chain, which is performing well, I can provide better service. Subsequently, we can sell more. If we have a sales function, if we have a regional function performing well, or how can I support them to even perform better? So I think this is how we how do we create this win-win rather than the worst cases than always the, the finger pointing. I can't because I don't have the product or you didn't tell me you're going to sell this, so I can't supply you. This is obviously what uh, what doesn't work. But I think this is the soft skill rather is when you come from a very technical function, you, you need to spend a lot of time to work with your peers in a collaborative way. And we try in in, in our organization to expose our junior leaders very often to very early to board roles, so country board roles, regional board roles. We try to move people at a very early stage in the career in there and leave them for a while to learn and move them onto the next role, so that they can learn to to operate in a cross-country board or in a regional board.
0: Oh, that's a very good idea. And, and that, and you, I think if I, if I remember correctly, you mentioned that from the beginning of your career, you had a management friendship. So sometimes that these management friendships where you rotate a few positions mm. and the board where you have that bigger picture that you understand. Again, we talked about end-to-end, but that's, that's kind of end-to-end of the business. Forget end-to-end supply chain. So end-to-end supply chain is important, but end-to-end business <laughs> objectives and understanding also how finance, marketing, R&D, how it all comes together
1: mm. is
0: key. And and crucial. Yeah. So on the topic of 50-50, first, amazing, great performance, great diversity. I think there's a lot more to be done. I think by and large, we don't have yet enough female talents. And and uh, we, we do executive search, of course, on a on a day-to-day basis. We are asked, I'm we are always asked, <laughs> get us more female talents. Mm. Now, the problem that that I have as a headhunter, and I think the industry has. There's only that many that are at sea level. The reason is, you know, whilst maybe at the beginning there's 50-50 or God knows what when they people graduate from university whatever the percentage of course engineers you're going to have more male because typically guys like more things whereas in um, i don't know in nursing or psychology you're going to have more female just because for structurally we're a little bit like that but definitely uh, we can do better with keeping the women within supply chain so i guess is there certain things that you've done better to achieve this 50 50 to also keep the women engaged because there's various sensitive if you give birth for example there's there's sometimes a dropout of Women not returning to the workforce. Were there certain things that work really well for Birosdorf in particular?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously everyone has his own career path, and you have double income. You have mobility challenges. Who is the lead income in a, in a in a family if it's a family? You have obviously maternity situations, but these are, I think, more normal things. I think this is nothing unusual, like in every career. No, I think it's important that you focus when you recruit on your fair share. It's important on the talent development that you ensure that you have always parity or you, you give everyone the same chance. And you sometimes take some risks. For example, in some countries where it's more difficult, you place females or or where um, and see how, how how it works and give put put the support in. But I must say now. Looking globally, we have uh, female leaders across the world in Asia, in, in South America, North America, Europe, in Eastern Europe, Western Europe, in Thailand, in um, Indonesia, in India, all have their specific things you need to address. But it goes down to one thing is make sure that you develop talent, you invest, you you expose, you take risks together. Some jobs work out, some jobs don't work out. And you're not getting too much hung up about circumstances. Some partners decide to go on paternity leave for years. We had mothers deciding to go longer or shorter. You just need to be very flexible. I think the talent itself should always be the first priority. Some are mobile, some are not mobile. I think that's more the challenge I face now more and more is, is the mobility. What helps is digitalization. So obviously we can all work through teams, but only to a certain extent. You cannot run a factory through teams. So you need to be physically based there. <laughs> so that makes it sometimes more difficult. But I tell you one insight I, I may say where I felt a difference. I was visiting a factory in, in India the other day where we recently brought the whole population to 25% female um, part. And it was suddenly a different atmosphere in the factory. You could see it. It was. It felt differently. It felt more natural. It was less like an army. Tense. It felt less like an army. Yeah, less tense. It's <laughs> um, the right word. Right? And I must say that that was it's just fantastic to see. And it, it's, it's a lot of effort you have to do. You need to provide transport. You need to provide when you have night shifts and so on. So it's obviously a lot of things you need to do to get there. But it's the right thing to go forward. I think it's more sustainable uh, on the long run. It's better for your engagement and better subsequently for the product quality and the output you you generate.
0: Great. Just two more questions. One, you you have come from the you know, when when supply chain, I wasn't, uh, you, you have way more years of experience than I, I do. So, you know, I, I was told that it was mostly manufacturing, production. The logistics, obviously, has existed uh, for a while. Then we started talking about supply chain management in more recent times. I guess my question to you, where do you see the biggest opportunity for a career in supply chain? How will a student, let's say that I'm just graduating and I'm thinking of joining supply chain, why should I do it? Why is supply chain a cool place to be for the foreseeable future Mm. obviously i'm framing
1: the question in that direction (laughs) i mean it's it's a i think what i really like is it's you have enormous amount of responsibility in the job whether you create something you make something you decide something in planning you always deal with big parts of the business and you're huge, hugely responsible to add value to the business. No? So you you can really, at a very early stage, you can already contribute significantly to the business. This is what I really like in the supply chain. Second thing is the daily complexity and the daily challenge is always something happening. You, you need to have these capabilities on one hand to operate at operation level, but to pull out to work at 50,000 feet. So you need to... Have this 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 mental capability to to do both. And the last piece, I, I tell you what what I like is you work with a lot of people. This is something I, I always enjoy. It's it's always a lot of people who need to synchronize one way or the other to build a chain, as we say. So my advice to people is, it's good fun to join. It's worth to explore which part you like. Some like more the go to market environment. Some more the logistics, the planning, the IT, the digital part. Yeah, analytics, some like the factories, um, the good old fashioned. It really depends or procurement as well is super fascinating now moving into the digital space with, with e-tendering and so on. So it's a lot you can do in this function and you can do a lot of cross moves as well, quality as well. So it's, that's why I think it's good when you start. I would recommend as well to see some functions first where you like it, stay there a bit and then have your career. That's the way I look at it.
0: And last, last one for me, um, what would be, one key piece of advice you would give to your younger self or to uh, to your kids or to, you know, again, the young generation to build a cool career in the corporate environment.
1: It's mental resilience I would always give. Um, there are always, you go in very passionate and inspired where you want to go to. Very often you're held back. Very often you're stuck in ambiguity or politics as well. Is, is The advice is always keep your mind fresh, but build some some resilience in yourself. About where you want to go and and where your boundaries are, um, but that's especially in supply chain. I found sometimes. Challenging when you're challenged in too many areas and the going gets tough no, because you're very exposed. So, this inner resilience, this inner peace, this inner mental strength, I think is something which is important to build and and for enjoy what you're doing. And it must, it must be fun. No? I think that's all. Awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Try to have fun. I, I loved one comparison, uh, one analogy I, I saw recently that supply chain is a delicate dance between hope and despair. <laughs> so, that <Yeah>. brings.
1: That. <laughs> <Very> <laughs> I, I true use a different something. one, rather. I read yeah. a different one. For me, supply chain is like climbing a mountain. I, I personally, I love the mountains. And the best thing is you're on the top. But sometimes it goes up, sometimes it goes down, sometimes it, it's a bit of a, a climbing exercise. No? It's not always straight up, it's always some challenges some avalanches and god knows what in between but at the end if you're on the top if you've achieved something it, it's just such a the view is brilliant <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> love it well with that yeah. being said harald thanks a lot for your time for all the great sharing and keep up the awesome work at the uh, at Beiersdorf.
1: thanks rado and thanks a ton for inviting me i really enjoyed this well done thank you very much thank
0: you for listening to our podcast If you liked what you heard, be sure to go to www.elcottglobal.com and click the podcast button for all the show notes of the interview. Also, subscribe to our mailing list to get our latest updates first. If you're listening through a streaming platform like iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, we would appreciate a kind review. Five star works best to keep us going and our production team happy. And of course, share it with your friends. I'm most active on LinkedIn, so do feel free to follow me. And if you have any suggestions on what, what to do and who to invite next, don't hesitate to drop me a note. And if you're looking to hire top executives in supply chain or transform your business, of course, contact us as well to find out how we can help.